For our scripture reading this morning, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 4. So if you have a copy of God's Word, please open it to Matthew chapter 4. If you're using a Bible in the back there, it's on page 809. And so we'll be reading selected verses from Matthew chapter 4. And we'll begin with verse 1, where we read, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then verse 11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And verse 17, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. May God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word. Good morning, family. Nice to be with you again this morning. Uh, If you're a guest, welcome. We hope you feel you're welcome. uh, You're among people who love you and desire to get to know you. So if we don't, if you're new here, please feel welcome and and introduce yourself and we'll try to introduce ourselves to you. My name's Mark. I'm one of the pastors and I have the privilege this morning of taking us one chapter further in our sequential study of the gospel of matthew we're trying to take it chapter by chapter and so this morning we come to matthew chapter four and if you've been with us for the duration of the study so far you'll know that one of matthew's burdens in writing the gospel is to show that jesus is fulfilling the whole old testament that he is the one to whom the whole Old Testament points. Genesis to Malachi, all those books before the Gospel of Matthew in the Bible, if you're new to it, all those books before the Gospel of Matthew are fulfilled in this one who has come, namely Jesus Christ. So in chapter 1, we saw a genealogy, and that genealogy is meant to show us that Jesus is the true son of David, that he is the one who has fulfilled the Old Testament, You see lots of Old Testament names littered throughout that genealogy, and Jesus is the one to whom they are all ultimately directed and pointing. And really the burden of Matthew chapter 1 through really the beginning of chapter 5 is to retell the story of Israel and show how Jesus fulfills where Israel failed. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament story... The first few chapters of the Gospel of Matthew might seem random to you. Like, why are they highlighting these particular events? Why is Matthew talking this way? Why is he quoting these Old Testament verses? And his whole burden is to show that Jesus is the new Israel. That Jesus is the one who is fulfilled where Israel failed. Matthew chapter 2, remember? After his birth, Herod tries to destroy Jesus. Do you remember? There was another baby that another Pharaoh 
sought to destroy Moses in Exodus chapter 1 and 2. Then in verse 15 of chapter 2, we get this quotation from the book of Hosea. Out of Egypt I called my son. And yet that is clearly a reference to Jesus because he is the new Israel who is coming out of Egypt. Then chapter 3 that we saw last week, verses 13 to 17, we see Jesus' baptism. And we said that Jesus' baptism is his identification with sinners, but it's also a typological fulfillment. In that, old te- in as much as Old Testament Israel was brought through the waters of the Red Sea after they came out of Egypt, so Jesus now comes out of the water after he comes out of his dangerous situation. And then, as we'll see this morning in Matthew chapter 4, what happens to Israel after they come out of Egypt through the Red Sea? They go into the wilderness to be tested. And that is exactly what happens with Jesus. He goes into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. And what happens after that testing? Remember, they are led out into the promised land to subdue the Gentile nations around them and bring them into obedience to God, which they failed to do. And we see Jesus calling 12 disciples to himself, modeled after the 12 tribes of Israel, to start a new mission, to successfully subdue the world to God. That's what Matthew is writing. I mean, the reason why we don't get that is because we're not Jews. Okay, so don't feel bad about that. You don't have to feel bad like, man, dude, I would never pick that up reading that. Well, the reason why is because we're not ethnic Jews. We don't know our Old Testaments very well either. But we can. You can grow an understanding of the Old Testament. But we have to remember that Matthew's gospel is primarily written to a Jewish Jewish audience. That doesn't mean that it has no bearing for us, as we'll see this morning and as I hope we've seen so far. But the point is, is that there is a parallel between Jesus and Israel. And Jesus is reliving Israel's life. And this should give us a clue of how to read This passage, you see, as you read the Bible story, you really come across three sons, Adam, Israel, and Jesus. They are all called God's son. But by the time you get to the New Testament, you know crystal clear that the first two sons failed. They're given a mandate, both Adam and Israel, rule and bless the world for my sake. Glorify and display me to the world. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It's given to Adam. That command's given to Adam. That command's also given to Israel. And as we read the story, we know that they failed. So the question that we ask when we come to the New Testament, when we come to the Gospel of Matthew, the question that should be looming in our minds is, is there a son that will not fail? And the answer is yes, there is a son. Finally, we have an obedient son, and that is Jesus, our Savior. So this morning, I've entitled the message, A Light Dawning in the Shadow of Death. That's a quotation from the middle of the chapter in Matthew chapter 4. Read verses 15 and 16 with me, if you will. The land of Zebulun, the land of Nephtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. This is the dawning of light in the shadow of death. 
This is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And we see him successfully defeating the devil. We see him calling disciples to himself. And we see him beginning his ministry. And so this morning, we're just going to walk through this chapter in three sections. And I want to draw out three points of what our hero, King Jesus, does for us in this chapter. So first point, Jesus resists Satan and because of him, so can we. Jesus resists Satan and because of him, so can we. Now we see in verse 1, let's read together. Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Notice God, the spirit is leading him. This is because he is being tested. He is being tested as the God-man to see if he will pass the test in the wilderness where Israel failed. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, comparable to Israel's 40 years in the wilderness, he was hungry. Three, and the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. First temptation, self-gratification. First temptation is self-gratification. In the desert, remember, Israel was given all the bread they needed, but they still grumbled and complained and died because they did not live a life that was dependent on God and his words. He, in fact, quotes the very words that God gave to Israel in Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But Jesus survives in the desert without food because he lives dependent on God's words. So self-gratification, he resists that. He's fasting. He's hungry. Forty days without food. Starving. The devil comes to him, offers him says, look, you have the power to do this. You can command these stones to become bread, but he doesn't do it because he realizes that the fundamental orientation of his heart and life is not toward self-gratification, but toward God-glorification. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. I am sustained not by the bread that I can change from stones to feed on, but by the words that my father speaks to me. So that's his first temptation, and he wins. Second, self-protection. Verses 5 and 6. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you. See, the devil knows scripture. Man, he knows it. Just twists it. And on their hands, they'll bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So he's going to quote the Bible now. He's going to come alongside and say, Listen, if you throw yourself off this temple, God's word says that he will protect you. But Jesus says, wait, God's word says, don't listen to you. Because he doesn't do that. He says, again, it is written, verse 7, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So he quotes scripture back to him. So what's he doing here? As Israel was tested many times to see if God was really with them or not, Jesus does not test his father, but trusts that his father is with him. So he's not going to pursue self-protection. He's going to entrust himself to the promised protection of God. 
even as he headed into this temptation in the wilderness. He doesn't need to know if God is going to protect him. He knows that God is going to protect him because God told him before he ever met this test. So self-gratification, self-protection, finally, verses 8 and 9, self-exaltation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Israel worshiped other gods. When Satan came to them, working in them through various means to get them off course of God's mission and plan, they were convinced and they succumbed to his temptations. But Jesus refuses to worship Satan and he obeys God. See, Satan always tempts people the same way he tempted Jesus here. We get an upfront view of his M.O. This is his M.O. This is the way he tempts not just Jesus, but us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life do not come from the Father but come from the world. The lust of the flesh, self-gratification. The lust of the eyes, self-protection. The lust of the pride of life, self-exaltation. Just as Satan tempted Eve in the garden with the very same temptations he offers Jesus. Remember, in the garden he tempted Eve. He says, she saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. That it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes. And desirable to make one wise, self-exaltation, lust, pride of life. So he tempted our Lord in the wilderness. Command these stones to become bread, lust of the flesh. All the kingdoms of the world in their glory I will give to you, lust of the eyes. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, pride of life. So Satan employs the same tactics with Jesus as he did with Adam. It's always offering us life independent of God and submission to God. And I'll tell you what, our culture, and I'm not just picking on our culture, but we ourselves have bought that lie wholesale. You talk to the average person, or maybe even some of you in this room carry this opinion, that if you were to submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that is death for you. That's the way people hear it. Life is found in self-expression and self-actualization, not being confined to anybody's expectations for you, but only those that you find within yourself, which is a wholesale embrace of satanic slavery and people don't get it. Why do they think they're independent? That is a wholesale embrace of Satanism. But people think they're free because Satan wants it that way. He doesn't want people walking around with a big pentagram on their shirt. 
He wants them consumed with themselves. And caring primarily, if not exclusively, about themselves. Because if he can get people, he's all about getting people to worship something other than him in the name of worshiping him. Worship yourself. Love yourself. Because that will keep you from Christ. So, the same temptation he puts in front of us. He twists scripture if necessary to make you believe it, especially if you've grown up in the church. He'll give you Bible verses to condone you walking away from Jesus. So he says to Jesus, rule the world independently. Rule it according to what I say and according to what you feel. Turn these stones into bread. Enact the power of being the messianic king and start jumping off the temple. You're Superman. I know you had a supernatural birth. Bow down now and the kingdoms will be yours. I'll give them to you. But where Jesus and Adam both failed, I should say where Israel and Adam both failed, Jesus did not. And he overcomes Satan. Praise his name. Well, what's all this got to do with us? Here's the good news. Here's the good news. As children of Adam, who are all born naturally to want to be our own rulers and live independently from God, and because we choose that way of life to be our own rulers and we inherit slavery to Satan and our own desires and his desires, he tempts us and we fall. We succumb to his lure every time. So we need someone to come and fight on our behalf. Someone who will conquer Satan and break our bondage to him. Our imperfect life, our slavery to Satan condemns us before God. We are in allegiance by nature to his enemy. We need someone to live a perfect life in our place. We need someone to do that on our behalf. And the great news of the gospel is that Jesus has done just that and he did it in the stuff of humanity. He did it as a human being. Satan was resisted by a man who felt temptation just like we do. Satan was overcome through flesh and bones and therefore Jesus is not only our example in this passage, he's our hero. He comes to crush the head of the serpent. He lives and fights on our behalf so that we can be presented before God as living his perfect life. Listen to Hebrews 8, 5. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, that's what this is all about. Matthew 4, Christ, it's a process of Christ being made perfect as the incarnate son Having been made perfect, he might become, and here's the good news for us, the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And that's where we fit in. If Jesus had failed right here, we never could have been put right with God. Because he would have fallen in the train of Adam and Israel. But the good news is, is that he didn't fail. And therefore, there is a perfect sacrifice for sin. And there is a son who obeyed. 
and a perfect life that can be credited to our account, which we did not earn. So in the gospel, God treats Jesus as if he had failed and treats us as if we had never failed. In the gospel, Jesus is punished as if he had disobeyed God and we are declared to be perfect as if we had never disobeyed. And it was through Adam and Israel that God wanted to bless the world, but they failed. And when Jesus comes, he's tested just like they are, but he overcomes Satan. And therefore, God's kingdom can now come through his perfectly obedient son. Finally, the wait is over. The wait is over. An obedient son has arrived. Jesus is the new and better Adam, the true Israel, who's defeated the devil and won back for himself rebels and paradise lost. Now the kingdom of God can be unleashed in the world. And we are evidence here this morning that it has been unleashed. And it has been in case we forget that 2,000 years he's been unleashing and saving and conquering the devil in people's lives. We come, we, we join that great cloud of witnesses. And this is the gospel that's available to us every day of our lives as we admit our weakness to Jesus and our inability to overcome Satan with the remaining sin that still lives in us. And we trust in what he's done on our behalf. And so we celebrate this morning the good news that Jesus Christ is our hero, the final obedient son of God who fought the devil on our behalf in, our, in the flesh and won. Amen. Now, here's that's the great news because so often this this text and it's not wrong to treat it as an example text like you know you've maybe heard it preached that way like Matthew chapter 4 1 to 11 Jesus resisted the devil with the word of God you can too. That is part of it. But what we really need to get is you've lived the Christian life long enough to know it's not that easy. You got Bible in your head? You read the Bible, you listen to sermons, and you sin, don't you? This past week you sinned. And I did too. And we struggled against our flesh and the world and the devil. And we're convinced, look, even as an indwelt, born-again child of God, I still need Jesus. I still need Jesus. I can't live the perfect life that I'm called to live. Because guess what? I'm not called to live that perfect life anymore. You don't have to be perfect. Jesus was perfect. You don't have to be the fully obedient son. Jesus was the obedient son. So by his grace then, we recognize that he was tempted in all points, just as we are, Hebrews says, yet without sin. And we now have an advocate in heaven. Jesus Christ, the son of God, who grants mercy and grace to help us in time of need. And we go to him continually because we know he is more full of grace, as John Bunyan said, than I am of sin. He's more full of grace than you are of sin. You will never out sin his ability to forgive and be gracious to you. He had no help when he was alone in the wilderness. You notice that, don't you? The spirit leads him in the wilderness and then the spirit in verse 11 comes back and comforts him, or sends the angels rather to come and minister to him. So he's left out in the wilderness and he's driven by the spirit into the wilderness. But unlike him, we're not taken out into the wilderness to face the devil on our own. Praise God, we have a victorious savior who's conquered 
And therefore, we can find our strength and victory in him. That's our only hope. We need someone who can resist self-gratification and self-protection and self-exaltation. And he has done that for us. And so this morning, first point, Jesus resists Satan. And by coming to faith in him, Bible's crystal clear on this, your slavery to Satan is broken. And so this morning, if you've never entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ, if you're trying to live a good life, if you're trying to just overcome your bad habits and your struggles, and you're doing that all apart from Jesus, you're just playing into the devil's handbook. You're doing exactly what he wants you to do. He wants you on a self-improvement plan. Don't you know that? He's not necessarily trying to get you into clubs. You know? He's trying to get you to get in the clubs and get drunk and get high. and all. No, he just wants... That works for some people, but for the vast majority of humanity, he just wants you on a self-improvement plan. Just keep trying, keep, keep, keep turning over that new leaf, keep, keep giving it another go, keep forgiving yourself for all your failures. Just get, just forgive yourself. You're not as bad as everybody else is. When the standard is not everybody else, the standard is God and his law. So quit looking horizontally and start looking vertically and start looking your future with God right in the face and know that you're going to stand before him one day and give an account and you better have somebody there at your side advocating for you. Namely, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I offer him to you this morning. You can have him. He wants you. Come to him. Embrace him by faith. And he will be yours and you will be his. And you will have... A brand new life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. There's a new leaf. And it wasn't because of anything you did. It was because of what Jesus did for you and in you. Making you a part of the new creation that is to come. So that's the first point. And I promise the shorter of the three. There's number one. So Jesus resisted Satan and so can we. Number two, Jesus recruits followers And so are we. Jesus recruits followers. And so are we. We're going to skip verses 12 to 17 for a moment. Come back to them in a second. And look down at verse 18. So this is after Jesus has begun his ministry. We'll see that in a second. And he's begun preaching. And now what he does first is call some men to be with him. Verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now we saw last week I preached a sermon called How to Get Right with God from Matthew chapter 3. And we saw, I tried to unpack for you what it means to follow Jesus. And we saw that it's responding to the message, it's repenting, it's believing, it's receiving forgiveness and righteousness, it's being baptized, it's obeying, and it's looking forward to glory. So what I want to do here is unpack that obedience piece. A little more. Because what's happening here is Jesus is calling some people, calling these fishermen to be with him so that he might make them fishers of men. So the text shows us a few more things about what it means to follow Jesus in obedience. 
All right, so what I want to do is just unpack this phrase, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay, so who are these men that Jesus is calling to him? Are they the extraordinary of the world? Are they the rock stars? Are they winning Grammys for fishing? Not that those things are offered, but it would be cool if they did. No, they're ordinary. Acts chapter 4 makes it really clear. These are ordinary, unschooled men. They have no special religious training. They're blue-collar, and they're likely pretty young. In fact, some people think they're, they're, they're teenagers or barely out of their teens. And so you've got young men here, younger than Jesus. Jesus is only 30 here. And he's calling men to follow him. They're ordinary, hardworking, simple people just like you and me. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that you qualify for Jesus' calling? I'm so glad that he doesn't go after the the elite. In fact, 1 Corinthians says that it's not many that are part of his kingdom. There are some, and we praise God for them too. They're rich and influential in the kingdom of God, and we're thankful for that. But the vast majority of the kingdom of God is made up of the ordinary. The nobodies, the people that are just going about their business, living a regular life. I mean, they're not doing anything. I mean, this is like pivotal moments happening in the kingdom of God, and people are mending their nets and fishing boats. I mean, this isn't, this should teach you the, the ordinariness and earthiness of Christianity. Christianity is about normal stuff and God transforming people in the normal everyday stuff of life. And so he calls them, he says, follow me. Now that tells you exactly what this whole thing about being a follower of Jesus is all about. It's about following. <laughs> Whoa, never thought about that. Discipleship is about following Jesus is being conformed to his image. It's talking the way he talked. It's learning to walk the way he walked, respond the way he responded. Living as though Jesus is living through us. That's what a Christian is called to be. That's what we're called to be. So if Jesus were a plumber, what kind of plumber would he be? If Jesus were a business owner, what sort of business owner would he be? If he were a teacher, what kind of teacher would he be? If he were a stay-at-home mom, what kind of stay-at-home mom would he be? If he were an attorney, what kind of attorney would he be? If he were a doctor, what kind of doctor would he be? It's taking your life and your calling and what God has called you to do and, and filtering that through how would Jesus do this? And to do that, we have to radically abandon ourselves to him. These men left everything. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to leave your job. This is a unique situation that's happening here. Jesus is calling the pillars of the church here. He's starting his his messianic ministry. He's begin So there is some uniqueness here. But nevertheless, what's crystal clear is you got to abandon everything that you got your previous identity from. It's not going to come from your family anymore. It's not going to come from your career. It's not going to come from your possessions. It's not going to come from your position. It's not going to come from your security. It's not going to come from comfort. It's not going to come from any of that. It has to come from Jesus and him alone. This is what he said, right? Matthew 16, 24. We'll get there and who knows when, several months from now. If anyone wants to come with me, come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Basic Christian discipleship, carrying your cross. Here's what David Platt says about that verse. He says, now let me be very careful here. I'm not saying that I would, 
I'm not saying, and I would not say, based on the whole of the New Testament, that all followers of Jesus must lose their careers, sell or give away all their possessions, leave their families behind and physically die for the gospel. But the New Testament is absolutely clear that for all who follow Jesus, comfort and certainty in this world are no longer your concerns. That's the question to ask ourselves. Is comfort and certainty important to me anymore? Because comfort and certainty cannot be the driving values anymore if we're going to follow the Lord Jesus. Your career revolves around whatever Jesus calls you to do and however he wants to use you around around wherever he wants to call you to and however he wants to use you to spread the good news of the kingdom. Your possessions are not your own and you forsake material pleasure in this world in order to live for eternal treasure in the world to come. That means that all of our stuff gets leveraged for him, too. It doesn't mean that we're just devoid. My wife and I were even having a conversation about this yesterday. It doesn't mean that we're, we shouldn't be concerned about making our home hospitable or caring about those things because that has a, an end goal in mind. It has a goal of loving people the way Christ has loved us and providing welcome for them and, and refuge and seeking to minister to them. But position, priority, comfort, and certainty must die at the foot of the cross when we take it up. We're not fighting for position anymore. We're not fighting for comfort. We're not fighting for certainty other than the certain promises of God. We're not fighting for a a name. So when it comes to, and continuing here with what Platt says, he says, when it comes to family, the Bible is clear that you are to honor your parents, love your spouse, and provide for your children. So don't use a command like follow me to justify being a lousy husband, wife, or parent. Nevertheless, as we'll see in Matthew 10:37, your love for Christ should make love for your closest family members look like hate in comparison. God may call you to leave your family for his own purposes, perhaps to make his gospel known across the world. So it's, it's this embracing of this uncertain, uncomfortable life that I'm trying to get after. And that's going to work itself out in a hundred different ways in our lives. There's no, this is not a template. It's like, okay, if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, I have to take up the fishing vocation. Then I have to be called from a shore of a lake. And then I've got to leave. I don't even have a brother named Andrew. Dang it. So, I mean, that's not the point here, right? The point is, the point is, is that when Jesus bids us to follow him, we have to give up comfort, security, position, and the priority of ourself and what we want to do. And then he says, look, I'm going to make you, I will make you fishers of men. So his, the following of Jesus, our following of Jesus has an ultimate goal to it. It has a purpose and it has a process. Okay. The process is I will make you. The purpose is fishers of men. Okay. So there's a process here. It's not like Okay, Jesus calls us to himself, he recruits us as his disciple, and then he says, go tell other people about me, although that's certainly going to happen. But rather, he says, come follow me, and I'm going to make you something. I'm going to make you a new kind of person. So, as it's been said before, he doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And so he doesn't expect his disciples, or you and me for that matter, to have it all together when we come to him. Because he's going to make us into something. So it's not about getting your act together and feeling worthy enough for Jesus to take you. He will take you as you are and make you what you aren't. That's what Jesus does. He takes you as you are and makes you what you aren't. 
Jesus is called, calls us to make us into something, not because we're already made. The process is the result of walking with him in an intimate way over an extended period of time. Can I just give you an acronym that I found helpful? You may get help by acronyms. You may not. I get help by them because they help with memory. All right? But this is not my own. This is from a pastor in Tennessee. His name's Robbie Gallaty. Okay? And he came up with an acronym about walking with how to grow closer to Jesus. All right? All for growing closer to Jesus. Everybody in here want to grow closer to Jesus? Well, here's the closer acronym. Okay? And if you, if you, you don't have to write it down, you can send me an email or I can give you, give it to you later, but just listen for now. C, communicate with God in prayer. So you're going to have to have a relationship with God and talking to him. L, learn to understand and apply God's word to your life. O, obey God's commands. S, store God's word in your heart. That's scripture memory. That's memorizing the Bible and meditating on it. E, evangelize, sharing Christ with other people. And R, renew yourself spiritually daily. Closer. I think that's good. It's helpful. It gives us some handles to grab onto. Like, what are you talking about? When you talk about growing in a relationship with Jesus, what are you talking about? And I want to tell you this. That's not meant to be done in isolation. That's meant to be done in the context of relationships, which is why groups are so important here for our church and why we emphasize them so often. Because you need other people to help you do those things. Because we're going to, you know, I can just see it. I, I know. I know myself. I'm like, all right, man. Pastor Mark gave me a good good word this morning. He gave me that closer acronym. And I'm going to get after it. I'm going to get closer this week. And you go down. You start writing it down. Here's the, okay, I, got, I forgot the acronym. So I'm going to email him. Then he sent it to me. Okay, now I'm going to write it down. Okay, Monday morning you wake up and you're like, I don't really want to do any of this. Or you might, you know, I'll do C on Monday and then, okay, so it's a weekly thing. So I can do like C on Monday, L on Tuesday, and then you just, you're missing the whole, like, no. See, the reason why we, we, we're not equipped to do that by ourselves. We need other people. We need to take that into a community group and say, okay, brothers and sisters, these are the sorts of things we want to commit ourselves to. Help me. Help me. Let's help each other. Let's help each other do that. How can we do that? How can we work together to spur one another on and encourage each other toward growing closer to Jesus so that he can make us what he wants to make us? Because I'll tell you what, he's going to make you what he's going to make you through the means that he's decided to do it through. All right, which is why forsaking the Lord's Supper as an option, and I'm not trying to guilt you if you, you know, things come up, we have emergency sick kids, you know, things happen. But I'm saying if you just like wholesale dismiss like a major means of grace of like the Lord's Supper and like I don't want to draw closer to Jesus, that's not good. Okay, it's just not healthy. It's not what a disciple does. How about some comfort? How about slaying some comfort? All right? How about slaying some, you know? Uh, other things that might be getting in the way of walking with Christ and, and growing closer to him. So that's, that's, that's what we're after. We're after Jesus making us into something. What is he making us into? He's into making us fishers of men. This is the goal of discipleship. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, come follow me and I will make you holy, wise, prosperous, happy, smart, and successful. Ironically, following Jesus has very little to do with you. It is all about becoming a certain kind of person for the benefit of the kingdom of God and other people's lives. Here's the way one person put it. The gospel has come to us because it's heading to somebody else. 
The gospel came to you because he wants you to take it to other people. We're not meant to be a pond in which the gospel sits. We're meant to be a tributary that advances it and that leads it out into other places, into other people. From the very beginning, starting with this initial call, Jesus implants the seed of multiplication within the hearts of his disciples. Jesus does not call his disciples to come sit in a pew and listen to a pastor preach. He calls, oh, that's part of it. We don't want to discount that. But he calls us to fish, to fish for other people, to cast for others. Every follower of Jesus is meant to be a fisher of people. Every disciple, a disciple maker. That's in our mission statement. We exist to be a gospel-centered community of worshipers on mission. Why? To make, mature, and multiply disciples of Jesus. It's Matthew 4.19. We're just getting it from the Bible. Make a disciple, mature a disciple. What's the goal of maturity? How do we measure maturity? Multiplication. If the disciple is multiplying, the disciple is mature. It's so, so critical that we get this, lest we farm the mission of God out to the professionals. And God's not interested in farming the mission out to the professionals. He called fishermen. Ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel focus and intentionality is the way the mission of God goes forward. Not professional men doing professional things for professional ends. This is really unconventional. Because he's taken it out, he's taken his mission out of the hands of the elites. And he's like, I'm giving it to my whole, all my people. All my people get to participate in this universal privilege to fish for men. We don't catch men. Jesus catches men, but we're responsible to cast. We got to cast, which is why we're trying to put practical tools in your hand to help you with casting, like an Easter service. Nothing unique about an Easter service, okay? Jesus is not, like the Holy Spirit's not going to be poured out in a unique way on an Easter gathering just because it's March 27th. It's like, oh, that's on my calendar. I've got to go. Oh, I got to visit Heritage this morning. He's with us every morning. Every time we gather, he's here. But it, it helps us get a focus. Okay, right. I exist for others. Right. I exist to be a blessing. Right. I exist to spread the gospel. Right. I exist to not live for myself, but live for others. So we take a practical thing like an inviter card, not because this is somehow special, but it, we, we put it in front of ourselves and we say, okay, celebrate the day death died. You're invited. Join me at Heritage Baptist Church. Who am I going to give that to? Who do I want to invite? Who do I want to love? Who do I want to seek to lead to Christ? Or take something like this, and this is more general blessing, right? We already talked about this this morning. Taking this card and saying, okay, I just want, I want Jesus to have a good name in Owensboro. I really care that the church gets a better name because according to Fox News and other news outlets, we got a terrible name. So what I want to do is I want to try to spread a good name for Christ, that Christians are marked by generosity and kindness toward other people because we have been treated with kindness and generosity by God. That's, that's, all, that's all that's meant to communicate. It's meant to win a hearing for the gospel and not to make our community hard to Jesus because of the Christians they know or so-called Christians they know. 
So here's, again, David Platt, and I'm going to move on, and then I'm going to close quickly. He says, we desperately need to be reminded that the Great Commission and the call to fish for men are every Christian's privilege and responsibility. This is one of the deepest burdens of my heart. I want every member, every disciple to see themselves as disciple makers. So biblically, if we're not making disciples, then we've missed what it means to be a disciple in the first place. This is one of the reasons I encourage every member of our church to be part of a small group where the goal is not simply to meet, but to come alongside other believers and ask, how can we make disciples? You may be thinking, I can't do that. To which I say, that's the point. We can't do it. That's why we need Jesus to make us what we can't be in and of ourselves. That's the core of discipleship. We follow him and he makes us fishers of men. So I want to, I want to just apply this in a couple of ways. Okay. So say you're a young mom in the room. Okay. You're a young mom. Maybe you're stay at home or you got little kids that you're, that you're trying to disciple. You're a disciple maker. Okay. Mom, you're a disciple maker. That's your goal. You're trying to make disciples of Jesus. Don't think of disciple making apart from your calling. Think of it through your calling. Okay? So disciple making is not something that you tack on to what you already do. It's as you are going, you make disciples. As you are going, you seek to spread the gospel and invest in other people. So young mothers, you got 24-hour discipleship. It's all day long. And you're pouring your life into the life of your kids. Older women, I'm so encouraged to hear of our older ladies who are, who are, who are taking up leadership in reach to invest down into younger women. That's what it's all about. I mean, Titus 2 is in the Bible for a reason. It's that we would take what we have, what, the following of Jesus, the maturing that he's brought to us over 50, 60, sometimes 70 years of life, and be able to pour that into a needy 25, 35, 40-year-old person who needs to know the Jesus that you have come to know. Same thing, older men investing in the lives of other men. I can point out Keith Withrow here because he's not here this morning. I mean, good grief, that guy's discipling people. He pours his life into the men in his company. That's because he believes Matthew 4.19. Right? And I'm just so encouraged by that. And I, and I, and getting a vision for your work like that. That's so encouraging. He's got a vision for using plumbing to make disciples. I mean, that's what it's about. Using your vocation, using your gifts, using the calling that God has given you to make disciples. And I could go on, but time is almost out. All right, third point, this will be the shortest one. Jesus represents God and so should we. So we've seen that Jesus resists Satan and so can we. Jesus recruits followers and so are we. And now Jesus represents God and so should we. We see him representing God in verses 12 through 17 by speaking on behalf of God. He's calling people to repent. But then in verses 23 to 25, he's beginning his ministry. And this is sort of a summary of everything that's going to characterize the rest of the gospel. All that Jesus is going to do for the rest of the book of Matthew is confined in verses 23 to 25. It's teaching, proclaiming, healing. If I could summarize that. It's word and deed ministry. It's speaking and serving. It's living and loving. It's proclaiming and caring. And, and when you say that as disciples, I know we probably fall out on one or two of those. Rarely are both of us like a 50-50 like match of 
like speaking and serving. Typically, we default to one or the other. We default to being spokespersons who share, but maybe our life lacks love and care. and Or we tend to be really, really caring and really, really nurturing and care about people, but we wouldn't dare offend them with a word about Jesus. And what Jesus is calling us to do is attention here. Is that if we're going to represent God, which is what he's doing here, and what he calls us to do as his disciples, if we're going to represent him, then we got to be all about loving people and speaking truth to people. That's what we got to be about, speaking the truth in love. That's what Young Life's trying to do with Austin and Adam and Cyril and the other guys that are working with them. That's all they're trying to do, speak the truth in love. Love them, give them a place to belong, but share Christ with them. And that's what we're trying to do. So it's never going to feel like we're getting it right. It's always going to be messy. It's always going to be a struggle. But we got to keep that vision in, in hand. We love people's bodies. We care about their physical realities. We care about where they're living, what they're doing. We don't just care about the soul of a person. God doesn't just care about your soul. He's resurrecting your body one day. We don't just care about their soul, even though it's of eternal value. We care about their temporal needs too. Jesus did. We care about people's struggles and problems and difficulties. But we also say, here's the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. You need Christ more than you need your mortgage paid down or your bills paid off or whatever. Or this struggle with a child or a spouse that's just racking your life with problems. You need Christ more. So that's how we represent God, by speaking those things into others and by living before them the life of Jesus. And worship team, come forward, please, and uh, I'll close us in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this morning, for the opportunity to be in your word together and soak in these truths and really just to to try to get our minds around again what it means to follow you. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you call us to yourself, you promise your presence and help all along the way. So we just thank you so much that you have defeated Satan at the outset so that when you call us to follow you, we are following a victorious king. We are following a Jesus who can do something about it. And we thank you that we have that privilege to join you in your mission of fishing for men and making disciples and seeing them brought to a place where they too fish for others. Lead us forward, Lord Jesus. We need your help. We need you to make us into this as we follow you. We ask this in your name. Amen. We're going to be giving as an act of worship. The plates, I believe, are going to be passed. So let's give as an act of worship from our hearts gladly what we have and what the Lord is leading as we sing this in response to what we've just heard. The stand.
brief second. A um, couple of announcements before we, we wrap up. Um, please go ahead and uh, the inviter cards. And these are the inviter cards. They they say celebrate the day the the day the death died on Easter, and those are just meant for invitation. Then we've got these empty cards. They they're the they're the ones for drive-through purposes. They're both out right before you walk out the doors. Feel free to take as many as you think you'll use, and you're welcome to those. Also, if you were not here last week and you were unable to pick up the 2015 financial summary, those are still out, but today's going to be the last day we're going to leave them out. So if you're uh, wondering just in a broad way how our church wrapped up 2015 from a financial perspective, you can pick that up on your way out. It's on the left on the table there. Also, we've got a book of the month that we've chosen um, to help us grow in our knowledge of Jesus. It's just called Knowing Christ. If you're interested in short chapters that take you, maybe you're a new Christian or maybe you're a Christian who's been a Christian for a while, but you still feel like, man, there's so much about Jesus I don't know. Well, we all feel that way, but we encourage you to pick that, pick that book up. Um, and it's available on the, in front of the nursery out uh, front. And then finally, uh, Lord's Supper tonight. But before that, if you're a guest with us, if you're new to HBC, like you've been here like the last month or two, and you've just been kind of visiting with us and you'd like to get to know us better, we want to serve you pizza today. Okay, so if you don't have any lunch plans and you're willing to hang out for about 30 30 minutes or an hour with us afterwards, we're going to have lunch for you upstairs. If you look in that corner of that room, literally, if you go out these doors, turn left and go up the steps, you'll see it. It's in the art room for Heritage Christian School. We'll have pizza up there and we just want to serve you lunch, get to know you. No pressure. There's not going to be a hard sales pitch at the end or something. It's it's. Really, it's just to get to know you, see where you're coming from, see how you're, you know, how we can help you and bless you, and that'll be it. Lunch on, lunch is on us. We'll be doing that every first Sunday of the month. So if you can't perhaps make it this time, stay for next time. We'd love to have you, but we'd love to have you today if you're able. Also, finally, and I already said that, sorry, that's not letting my yes be yes. Okay, so TNT, we've got a lot of announcements. TNT tickets. Who's excited about TNT? Yeah. Okay, so TNT tickets are starting for sale today. I know Brandon would love you to purchase as many of them as possible, and Sam would be appreciative, and all the youth who are going on the Dominican Republic trip this summer because all the money that's raised from that is going to go for that. So feel free to pick those tickets up today. You can pay today, or you can pay the next couple of weeks before the event happens on March 26th. Mark your calendars for it. Let's stand together. I'll leave us with a benediction. Here's the good news, church. I just want to leave you with this verse. I didn't read it during the sermon, but it's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. And I just want you to think about the victory of Christ, the triumph of Jesus, the fact that he finally is the obedient son who has made our hero and our savior. Verse 11, then the devil left him. Not going to get any ground, not going to get any ground with Jesus or the people that belong to Jesus. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. May you receive that same ministry. May you receive that same grace from the Lord Jesus as the exalted king who has conquered Satan and death. Go in in his peace.